session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, clinical psychology, including any emotional issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number 310-441-0555. Before I get into the book of the week uh, from the past week, this week's book of the week is Capital and Ideology by Thomas Piketty. Capital and Ideology by Thomas Piketty. This is by far the longest book I've done for the books of the week. It's um, over a thousand pages and uh, wanted to give myself that challenge. Also give myself a couple extra days because next Monday is uh, Memorial Day. So I won't be doing a live show. So I have till Wednesday to read this one. Um, but Thomas Piketty or Thomas Piketty, I don't know how to really say it, is French economist. Um, and he wrote a book in 2013 called Capital, and I think Capital in the 21st Century, I believe it was called. And that one uh, emphasized the economics of inequality. This book also is related to that. So again, book of the week for this week, Capital and Ideology by Thomas Piketty. Looking forward to reading it, starting it tonight um, and sharing it with you next week on Wednesday. Uh, the book of the week for tonight that I'll talk about last week's book of the week is Prepared by Diane Tavener. Prepared What Kids Need for a Fulfilled Life. And uh, this was a really good book. Highly recommended. I thought actually it was more focused on parenting, which of course it's definitely a good book for parents, but it's about education and really developing kids in general. So Diane Tavener, um, she's the co-founder and CEO of Summit Public Schools. And so these schools, um, essentially what you see in this book is the framework for those schools or what um, they do. And just that title I really liked, Prepared, because what we look at uh, for education in general, uh, these days I would say the title of that book would be Accepted, where people and parents and school are just trying to get kids accepted into college, um, and that's it. But they're not really prepared for the real world, prepared to live a good life. And so this book is focused on preparing kids or focusing on preparing kids rather than just thinking about getting them accepted. And so you have to change the way you school kids, educate kids from the ground up. All aspects of education have to be changed and all aspects of a school have to be ready for that. And so even as I read the book and she talked about things that were going on in the school uh, and the schools that she runs, sometimes I would get, I would feel a, an anxiety of does that is that right? Does that work? Can you do it that way? Um, and I was, uh, you know, assured by how she talked about it and the results, but it showed me how hard it is for us to change these paradigms. Because in principle, I definitely agreed with everything she was saying, but I could feel my own anxiety where when we do things different from how we quote unquote always do it, it can feel wrong or bad or like we're doing the wrong thing. 
And so it was interesting to see her very different approach to education and that it makes sense because I think rather than focusing on just getting our kids good grades, getting them to, um, you know, get into a good school, we want to prepare them for life. And so just the title of the book, I think, is great. Uh, So what does it look like to prepare kids? Well, it's not just about when we think of education, filling them up. A lot of times that's what school looks like. A wise, knowledgeable teacher in the front, the unknowing kids in the the rest of the classroom, and they're supposed to just be listening and get filled up with knowledge. But there's so much research and just our own experience will show us that that's not actually how we learn the best and that's not going to prepare us. Um, So, you know, I can go through some of the different steps of what they do at these types of schools. And one of the big things is... um, real-world and project-based learning, or PBL, project-based learning. Um, So instead of learning just by textbooks, again, where you just take information, take the knowledge and memorize it and then regurgitate it for a test, you have children learn um, through trying to solve problems, trying to look at some issue, some situation that they find interesting and getting them into the problem itself to figure out how things work. And so this will definitely um, do a few things. First of all, they have to show some initiative. They have to take some responsibility in how they're learning. Um, But also they learn more. When you just learn 4 plus 4 equals 8, it's different than if you learn something meaningful with that same mathematical equation. So it, it encourages kids to get involved and understand how things work. And not only that, they start to see how they can solve problems in the real world, in their real life, because uh, life is essentially making decisions, making choices, trying to understand how to get to the best outcome. And very often there isn't someone telling us what to do. So when we give kids problem-based learning, we're giving them opportunities to um, learn something on their own. And so this can be scary for a teacher or for a parent to give kids more responsibility or more say in what's going on. And this is why it's so important that the whole culture of the school, uh, was it last week talking about the culture code, um, and you look at a culture and how important that is, and you look at her schools that she's developed, Diane Taverner, and the whole school revolves around these principles. Everyone is involved. The parents are informed of what's going on. Teachers know Um, what to expect and what they're expected to expect from the kids and what they're going to get. Without that, it's not going to work. There's also a lot of self-directed learning. So again, this flips things on its head. Usually we think we tell the kid what they need to learn. And homework is where you just give a kid work to do. Even that mindset that we have, it's very much related to the obsession we can have with productivity in general, even with ourselves, even during this uh, pandemic where I'm supposed to do certain things. And oftentimes we feel good if our kids are doing work. Oh, my, my son or my daughter's in their room doing six hours of work every night. And we think this is somehow good just because we know they're doing something, but we don't know if it's actually helping them learn Uh, getting them excited and passionate about the things they are trying to learn or we want them to learn and get excited about learning in general. Are we helping them to grow um, or are we just filling them up and filling up their days with things to do? So self-directed learning means that the child has more 
involvement and say in what they're going to learn. It's not just something that's handed to them. And this is, is very important. And again, the whole school has to revolve around this type of mindset. And when I say school, I hope uh, people listening will also think as a parent, you can implement these perspectives. And at the end of the book, she has kind of like a appendix um, that's more directed towards parents of how to implement these principles. But throughout the book, you'll recognize that they apply in all um, aspects of raising kids. Because really, what is education? We think of it as filling up, again, kids with information and knowledge, but we're trying to develop human beings. We're not just trying to uh, create information machines. We're trying to um, help them grow and develop into a strong human being. And you see that also in the book that there is an emphasis on what we can call emotional intelligence, things like understanding their own feelings, uh, empathy, relating to other people, lots of collaboration. All of these are aspects of the education that they do. Uh, another important skill is reflection. And each child gets a mentor who is, um, I was trying to understand if it was always a teacher, and I think it is, a teacher, and the teacher has a few mentees, and they really reflect, and that's a big um, component of this mentor is to help the child reflect. And so we again think that we have kids and we have to tell them what to do, um, even when it comes to choosing a career. But really, we want to help them figure out who they are. And so at, at their schools, there is a lot of time and uh, effort put into reflection. Let me think about what I did. It's really interesting when you see they work on a project and the kids uh, and it's uh, the school she was talking about mostly was a high school, it was the first school. You know, they're um, reflecting, you know, I didn't quite do this right. Um, I think I could have done better here or I wasted too much time at the beginning or maybe I made my goal too big. So rather than just saying, okay, you did good or bad, you got a B, you got a C. And uh, she was a teacher herself, Diane Taverner. And she said, you know, I'd write feedback to kids. They would do an essay and then I'd write feedback. And I see they crumble it and put it in their backpack. They don't look at the notes I gave them. There isn't an opportunity for us to really um, go deeper about what the feedback is. And that's it. And then they'd make the same mistakes the next time. But when we allow kids and we create the context for reflection, they can think about, you know what, what did I do? not quite right this time? Or what did I do right and I can learn from this time? And who do I want to be? What do I get passionate about? All of these things can help a child better understand themselves. And that part also reminds me of therapy. So as a therapist, we often think, or people often think of therapy as a place to go fix your problems. And um, there is some of that, of course, but more than anything, it's about self-awareness, understanding yourself more learning about yourself. What are things you like, dislike? What are things you do in relationships? And you can only do that in the context of a non-judgmental relationship. Now, with therapy, it's um, with the therapist and, and yourself. In, in a school, it would be with everyone involved, the teachers, uh, principals, everyone. And also individually, we can do that. Where we can be curious, or as a parent, being curious and trying to understand rather than trying to judge is this good? Are you good? Or is this good or bad? I'm trying to understand who I am. So that was interesting for me that there was such an emphasis on reflection and helping the kids understand themselves better to learn and grow through that process. There's also a lot of collaboration, as you might imagine. So they work 
together, which, um, you know, life is going to be about working together. You're not going to get very far if you uh, don't know how to work well with others. There's that African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so um, if we don't learn how to work together, we're not going to actually get very far. And so collaboration is also very important. How do we get kids to learn how to work together? And also something, um, consensus rather than majority rule, which I thought was really interesting in having consultations together and, and figuring out what to do to make a plan. Um, when we think of elections, we just think of trying to win, right? Especially in politics these days, you just want to win against your opponent and it's two sides against each other and whoever wins, they get to do what they want. And of course it's complicated when the two sides are so far apart, but ideally when you look at consensus, you want everyone to be on the same page. Now, that doesn't mean everyone is going to exactly get their top choice or it's going to be exactly how they want it to be. That's really not possible. But if you have the right type of culture in a group, you find that you try to discuss and share your ideas, express why you think this is good, um, hear about the other side and make a decision. But then at the end, everyone needs to buy into whatever you do. You won't do very well if some people in the group actually are hoping for things to fail or not go very well. You want everyone to be like, okay, even if this wasn't my top choice, now I'm dedicated to making this work. So there is that emphasis on um, uh, collaboration as well in, in these schools. And so there's a host of um, skills that they talk about throughout the book that you help develop. Um, one thing I thought was interesting is helping them get curious or curiosity-driven knowledge. And there was this cycle of expose, uh, explore, pursue. So a lot of times parents also have this issue of, you know, I want my kid to do extracurricular activities. Now, of course, part of that is this arms race we have, especially here in the United States where parents are trying to fight um, for their kids and with their kids to get them into colleges and they have to do so many extracurriculars and there's certain requirements and they hire coaches to try to get into colleges. And it's really unfortunate because again, we're, we're making our kids just get accepted into schools, not preparing them for life and what they actually need to live a good, fulfilled life. We're just trying to get them to look good uh, on application, which I think is very unfortunate. Um, so, uh, you know, but a lot of times parents, even still, not just for that reason, from a young age, we say, should I take them to art class? Should I take my kids to uh, sports? Which one? How? Should they start with something? If they want to change their mind, what do I do? You know, parents have a tough choice. Do I encourage perseverance and say, no, you got to keep going? Or do I allow them the freedom to choose to do what they want and also give them the opportunity to see various things? But so we, we want to expose kids to lots of different things because, you know, sometimes we think passions are always just going to be aha moments or we always are going to know them, but it's not always the case. Passions sometimes are developed slowly. You try something for a while and then you see you're interested in, or you try different things and see this aspect of it is something that you like. So we want to give kids an opportunity to explore different things. And then once they've explored different things, um, we or exposed them to different things, sorry, once they've been exposed to lots of different ideas, different uh, things they can do, we want to allow them the space to explore those um, different things to see what they get out of it, see what, talk to people who are in that field and industry, maybe go to a camp for a week that's in that, and, and then further pursue whatever it is 
um, past that as well. So we want to give our kids opportunities to try different things. And so, um, you know, this is a great book uh, I'm talking about, Prepared by Diane Tavener. For anyone, I think in general, I thought it was interesting because when she talks about prepared, even us as an adult, you can learn things about uh, how you want to be or how it could be better to live your life. But especially if you're a parent or an educator, I think it's a really good book and hopefully leads to a paradigm shift where we recognize that the way we always have done things, you know, and a lot of times we'll say, and she mentioned in the book, well, you know, that's how I was raised or that's how I was educated and I turned out okay. And Yes, um, that might be the case. We're probably okay, but that doesn't mean that even if we're okay, we can't make things better. It actually reminds me of when people say, well, you know, I was spanked or hit as a kid and um, I turned out okay. So spanking is okay or hitting our kids is okay. And you might have turned out okay, but it doesn't mean there can't be something better. And so the way education has always been, which we think of as the right way to do it because we've always done it that way, we actually recognize there's so much missing in what we do. And I thought what she shared in this book does a great job of filling some of that gap of what education isn't doing and really what more do we want than to have our kids get prepared to live a good life, to be self-sufficient, be independent thinkers, but also be able to collaborate, to recognize that when a problem comes up, they don't have to be afraid because they faced so many problems and challenges before. And in the next segment, I'm going to talk a bit about some of my thoughts on parenting related to this uh, and how parents at times think that their job is just to make their kids feel okay when it's much more complicated than that. Uh, But highly recommend this book, again, that was Prepared, What Kids Need for a Fulfilled Life by Diane Tavener. Let's go to a commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the first segment, I was talking about the book Prepared What Kids Need for a Fulfilled Life by Diane Tavener. And so Diane Tavener has started these schools, the Summit Schools, who of course collaborating with many people. Um, she talks about collaboration as a big part of their um, schools, but also of course she collaborates and has created these great schools and also trainings for other schools to uh, develop and implement their type of curriculum or their culture, if you want to call it that, into their schools and and has really made a big impact in education, but also in parenting as well. And so, as I mentioned, I wanted to talk about this theme in her book about preparing kids rather than just trying to get them accepted into school. And related to that, there's a type of parenting that I'll often talk about, which many parents, and I've seen strongly in the Iranian community, um, but in general, a lot of times parents will practice what I call um, pain prevention parenting, meaning that they think their job as a parent is to make sure their child feels little or if they can, no pain at all. And that's what they're trying to do constantly. If my kid doesn't like something, we take it away. If my kid is unhappy, I'm going to take them away from that, whatever it is, activity, take that person away. And just that's the focus that they have is pain prevention uh, philosophy of parenting. And we can understand it. It's coming from a good place. You love your kids. You don't want them to be in pain, to be hurt, to not feel good. That makes sense. And not only that, it makes more sense when we're talking about babies, because when you have an infant, 
You essentially do parent in this way. The child cries, you respond to their crying. That's how they communicate. They need food, they need to be changed, they just need to be held. Whatever it is, we respond because at that age, they need to just be given what they need in that moment. And they're just going to communicate that. But as children get older, they don't just need to have pains removed because they're also now growing and as they get older become more self-sufficient on themselves they can take care of themselves even more and so we want to help them grow not just help them feel good now this also is likely coming from parents having a hard time with negative feelings themselves so most people uh don't do well with negative feelings. And by negative, I mean the ones that don't feel good. Sadness, anger, those are two of the big ones. And so because we ourselves can't tolerate these feelings, because we ourselves think these are really bad things that we should get rid of, we can't tolerate them, we don't want to feel them, we also pass that on or Um, parent that on to our kids because when we see them feeling that way it becomes this big emergency my kid is crying I need to to stop them from crying my kid is sad they need to not feel sad my kid is angry whoever made them angry is wrong and bad and I'm going to go you know end whatever it is by by intervening interfering in whatever way I can but this doesn't help our kids become the best version of themselves it doesn't help kids grow when we just give them whatever makes them feel good in the moment because we take away opportunities for them to actually face challenges to face hardships to um, understand what is going on in in the world and in life and how they want to themselves grow so um, parents at times for example a classic example we'll give is your fourth grade child comes up to you and says i have a project due tomorrow it's, I haven't worked on it at all. And now, um, I I need to get it done. What should I do? And so now as a parent, you do have a tough situation in front of you, a dilemma, because on one hand, you see your child looking nervous, anxious, even fearful of going to school tomorrow without a finished project. And that, that makes sense. But also, you know, your child did not do the work. They did not plan well. Also, you as a parent, maybe depending on their age, I said fourth grade, they might need more support from you on how to help develop their schedule and plan things out. Um, But you have this tough choice. And a lot of parents coming from what feels like a very good place will take on that whole project themselves. They'll stay up late until the night with their kid. Even sometimes the kid falls asleep and the parent is still working. I even remember um, having some situations like that my parents helping me out and I think they did both things but sometimes maybe they did the work for me or they um, tried to bail me out and so it's what are we trying to let this child see because on one hand if we're just focused on not giving them pain you just say well let me do all the work and then tomorrow when my kid goes to school he or she is going to feel good not sad and not upset that they didn't do the work and they'll get a good grade and all those those good things. But if we um, want to teach them the value of hard work, that there are consequences to what they do, then we might actually realize that better than to do the work for them, we can have a conversation with them. 
about what happened, about how they found themselves in this situation. And uh, she mentioned this mindset uh, a few times in the book of curiosity. And I think that's a very important one for parents and just in general for us to have. When you're talking with someone and something is going on, we sometimes think we should just have an answer, say right or wrong, do this, don't do that. Uh, What you're doing is wrong or bad or whatever it might be. But it's much better to approach things with some curiosity, which means I want to understand what's going on, why you feel the way you do, why you're in the situation you're in, um, why you think uh, this happened. And so your child comes to you and says, I, I haven't done any work. And of course, you could say either I'm going to save you or we think we have to punish them. Sometimes we think those are our two um, alternatives. Either tell them, what are you doing? You're so bad. You're going to get a bad grade. I'm so disappointed in you. All these negative things. Or we think we have to, to just save them and do everything for them. And she mentions that in the book a lot of times that we try to save the kids when really they need to learn how to take care of themselves more. They need someone to give them some assistance and guidance, but then for them to do the work themselves. And so rather than just trying to fix it or punish them, see if you can engage with your child to understand what happened. And of course, let's say it's late already. You might not have a lot of time. The conversation might not all happen then, but you can continue the conversation the next day and the days after that of trying to understand what happened. And so if we're just trying to prevent pain, then we don't really look at the big picture. And as a parent, it can be tough to have what I say is both the big picture and the small picture in mind at the same time. So what that means is we always are, we try to be as present as we can with our kids, just like we try to be in general, meaning that we're Um, with them. We're trying to see what they're feeling. If they say they're sad, we don't dismiss it. We try to understand it, empathize with them. And so we stay with them in the moment. But you also have to make sure you don't get so lost in that moment that you don't see the big picture. Because if we're lost in the moment, then when they look worried, we only can think about that. My kid's worried. What do I do? I got to get rid of this worry as soon as possible. And again, if those feelings feel intolerable to us, then even more, we feel that we have to get rid of those feelings. And so, and if we only see that small picture in the moment, we lose sight of, you know what? My child is feeling anxious. I can understand that, but I know this is their fourth grade assignment. It's important to him or her now, and I'm going to make it feel that way because it is. But I also know that this is not the end of things. This is not the only thing I'm parenting my child for. I want them to understand what's going on, to learn from this experience, and then to go forward and to grow. So what's the best way to do that? So just like in this book, Prepared, what are we trying to do with our schools and education? Also, you as a parent have to ask yourself, what am I trying to do? What is my goal when it comes to my children? And oftentimes you might just think to make them happy, to make them feel good. And I tell parents this and they sometimes can be almost shocked by it, but I tell them your job is not to make your kids happy, especially not happy in the short-term sense of they need to be smiling or feeling good all the time. You want to make them feel content and fulfilled in the long term. But if you're just trying to make them feel good in the moment, think about what kind of life that is, even as an adult. If all you're trying to do is feel good in the moment, You won't do anything that's challenging or work hard. If you're not feeling good, you'll always turn to something that'll quickly make you feel good, 
drugs, gambling, food, whatever it is to make you feel good in the moment. And you won't actually grow yourself as an individual. So do you want that for your child to just be focused on how do you not feel good in any moment? Or how can I make it so you don't feel bad in any moment? We don't want that for our kids when we actually look at it. And so we have to make sure what we're doing is parenting towards that, parenting, toward, parenting towards helping our kids grow. So another common example I see uh, with families I've worked with or just in general you'll come across is, you know, a child has a fight with one of their friends and the parents think, okay, I'm going to solve this problem. And I've heard it so many times before. Oh, my, my son got into a fight with this other kid at school, but they're so good fr- such good friends. I called the kid's mom and we worked it out. And now he's going to have a play date with that kid again. And so we feel good because our only thought in that moment is if my child has pain, if my child feels bad, I'm going to take it away. And oh, look, I took away the pain. I'm a good mom. I'm a good dad because I fixed it for them. Rather than realizing, oh, you know what? This disagreement with their friend, they are good friends. And so I have faith that they can help work it out. And I might even guide him in that depending on the age of the child, but I'm going to allow them to solve this problem. I'm not going to fix it for them because my goal isn't just to make him feel good now. My goal is to help him grow. And so if we have that mindset, we take a very different approach to what we do with our kids. I'm not just here to make them not feel sad. I'm here to help my child develop skills that will help them for the rest of their life. Uh, And especially this one to me is very important about the conflict. In general, we don't do well with conflict as people. I think most people in the Persian community, I see it even more strongly that we try to avoid conflict as much as possible. And then when they do happen, they become disastrous. Uh, People end relationships because of one disagreement, one fight. And so arguments and fights and conflict becomes this really scary thing. We should avoid it at all costs. It's not just something that happens in any relationship that actually can lead to the relationship becoming stronger. It's the end of the relationship. People are afraid to allow conflict to happen because for many of us, the experience was conflict is disaster. Conflict is scary. Conflict leads to the end of the relationship. It can't lead to anything good. So you have to just try your best to get away from conflict. And so when our kids um, are facing conflict or we see it about to happen, we have that same approach. And so I try to encourage parents, okay, this is actually good. Show your child that, first of all, you believe in him or her to handle the conflict. You're there to support them. Um, You know, she mentioned in this book, Sink or Swim. Sometimes we think we either have to just throw our our kids into, you know, the water and, and see what happens or not let them get in the water at all. But you can help support them as well in that process. It's not just one or the other. So when I say let your kids deal with their conflicts, it doesn't mean don't even talk to me about it. Go figure it out. They can talk to you, talk about their feelings, what happened, what would they like to do, depending on their age, even you might walk them through, what do you think the other person was feeling in the conflict? Um, And now what do you want to do to try to resolve this? And I think it's so important to give them that hope and understanding that conflict is actually something okay, something natural in any relationship. And actually it can contribute to you having a better relationship when it's resolved well. So instead of pushing that, pulling them away, trying to protect them, and it might feel good, I'm saving my kid from the conflict. 
we're gently encouraging them to go towards what might feel uncomfortable because we know in that discomfort is growth. And so as a parent, when you only try to avoid all the pain, what you do is you also avoid the pain that leads to growth. And this is something that we both as individuals and if you're a parent have to be mindful of. When something doesn't feel good, is that pain that's leading to damage, which isn't good, or is that pain that's leading to growth, which is good? So for example, if you go to the gym, you could be doing a workout wrong and you're tearing your ligaments, your muscles, your knee, elbow, whatever it is, and that's pain, and that's the bad pain. You don't want to do that. But also if you're working out, you might be pushing your muscles in a good way that actually might hurt a little bit and you feel that pain. You know, they say no, uh, no pain, no gain, where you're feeling that burn, and you know that's actually towards growth. And so as a parent and also as individuals ourselves, we have to try to be aware of that. Is this pain a pain that leads to growth or is this pain damage that actually I should protect my child from, right? Of course, if your child is getting bullied, you don't just say I'm going to do nothing or abused or actually physically getting hurt. We, we can intervene, of course, and we should intervene. But there's also a pain that leads to growth, a discomfort that leads to growth. And if we actually prevent our kids from facing that, we're doing something that's the opposite of love because you're hurting your child in the long run from developing and growing into the best version of themselves. When we stop them from facing the certain kinds of pains that lead to growth, you're actually hurting them, not helping them. And we have to try to keep that in mind. And so th that pain prevention philosophy of parenting is something I talk ab about on the show and reading the book prepared by Diane Taverner very much resonated with that mindset that we need to challenge anyone, but we need to challenge our kids to grow or else they won't get to reach their full potential. Let's go into our last commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in today's show, I've been talking about um, the book prepared by Diane Tavener, and then I shared how parents also can have the mindset of uh, preparing their kids to grow rather than just preparing their kids not to feel pain or thinking that that's their role. And during the commercial break, someone asked a, um, a question, a thought about how do you deal with different temperaments? And so this is a question on the Instagram live. And so I didn't get to really go back and forth with them on exactly what that means. But that is a good uh, question or a good challenge that comes up when, you know, we, we hear about parenting, we sometimes think, well, what do you do with a kid and what should we do as parents? And I never think it's a one size fits all type of a thing because you as a person, as a parent have to do things that are genuine for you. So there's that aspect, but also each child is different. And if you treat every child the same, you are not giving that child what he or she actually needs because everyone needs something different. Just like as adults, you don't all want the same things in any aspect of our life. So we can't just say this is the good life and the good way to be. Children especially have different temperaments, different personalities, different things they like and dislike. And as a parent, rather than thinking this is how you parent, I have to do this with every kid, you want to be aware of seeing your child for who he or she is. And you know, being a parent, I think, is actually the hardest job or responsibility role that anyone can have because it is so challenging. It isn't um, definitely not going to be easy. 
It brings up so many of our own issues from our own our past and what's gone on. But also, it's very difficult to know how we're supposed to parent each individual child. And especially, I see this with uh, families with multiple kids. And sometimes they'll even say they have, let's say, two or three kids. And they'll say, you know, we did this with the first two, and now we're doing it with the third one, and it's not working. And they think something's wrong with that kid. You know, we we gave them this type of discipline, or we didn't discipline, or we did this, and now, you know, so something's wrong with this kid. So before I get into that, as a parent, you have to, as hard as it is, of course, you care about your kids so much. You want the best for them. But we can't get so tied into looking at our kids as some kind of project, meaning they are going to reflect how good I am as a parent. You know, if they're, oh, they got an A, I'm a good mom, I'm a good dad. Oh, they got a bad grade, oh my God, they embarrassed me as a parent. Um, Oh, they are acting out, I'm embarrassed about them, I'm bad. And of course, parenting has an impact on how kids are. But all kids are going to do good things, do bad things, make mistakes, act out, have tantrums, all sorts of other things um, throughout life. And so if we get so caught in, I was talking in the last segment about the small picture. If we focus on the small picture of am I a good mom or dad based on how my kid is feeling, how my kid is acting in the moment, we're going to miss the bigger picture. And we're also going to miss that our kids, just like us, are human beings. So they're going to have all sorts of different things. moments good bad ugly happy sad you know things that are they're even proud of things they're not so proud of even themselves but your role as a parent is to always love your child it doesn't mean everything they do you say that was the best that was good but you can still love a child while letting them know that maybe this was not good or they could have done something differently or that you didn't like something they even did depending on what they've done you can still give them that feedback and still do it in a loving way it doesn't mean either again there are these two this false dichotomy of either let them do everything they want and say it was perfect or be punishing and judgmental you can be in between where you're loving but you still also give them genuine feedback and show them that you see them because actually What parents sometimes do on that first extreme of everything is good is if you tell your child everything they do is good and perfect and the best, it sounds positive, it sounds nice, but a child doesn't feel seen, right? So if you know you're not a very good singer and you sing me a song and I say, you are the greatest singer of all time, you need to go record an album immediately, that was amazing. And you know your voice is not very good, or it's okay you actually might feel kind of nice for a moment, but you don't really feel like I get you. And then if you draw a picture and it's not that good and I say, that's the greatest piece of, we have to take down the Mona Lisa and put this up because this is just amazing. You know, it sounds nice again, it's pleasant, but you don't really feel like I see you, right? So if you are actually good at something, I say, wow, that was really good. That was a nice song you sang or you did draw a really nice picture and you do know that's something about yourself. You feel seen by that person. And actually, even if they know you and they, let's say, hear you sing all the time and they say, you know, today you were a little bit off. I felt like was something up. And if you weren't feeling that good about your performance, even though the negative feedback in the moment might not feel great, you also will feel like, you know what? This person understands me. They see me for what I am. Because if I just say, you're perfect, you're good, you're perfect, you're good, over and over again, you don't actually feel seen, even if the words are positive. 
So we might think that as long as I'm saying positive things, my kid is going to feel good. But kids and just also anyone, we feel good when we feel seen. And maybe you've had this experience too. You know, when we see each other, um, people say, hey, how are you doing? You say good. And sometimes, you know, if maybe you know someone well enough, they might tell you, you know what, you said you're good, but I feel like you're not. And when you're not feeling good and someone recognizes that, it actually feels good that they, they're seeing me. They are paying attention to me, first of all, to see me. And they actually can look a little bit deeper to the surface of just like what I'm saying and maybe what I'm trying to give off. And that feels nice to feel seen. So in the last segment I was talking about as a parent, you're not just supposed to make your kids happy. But also now I want to reiterate that you're not supposed to make your kids a certain thing. You're not supposed to make them all look some cookie cutter uh, version of a good kid and then a good human being, you're supposed to help them become themselves and see them for who they are. So you see your child and you say, oh, you know, you always like to sing those kinds of songs. Or I see when you dance, you do this and you're paying attention to what they're doing, not just saying it was perfect, it was good. Uh, or even you might notice, you know, I feel like you didn't try as hard on that one. And in the book um, that I was talking about today, prepared by Diane Taverner, her son wrote a thank you note to someone who had taken him on like a week long vacation. It was just like one line. And she had a talk with him about really what did he think about what he put in to the letter? Did it convey how thankful he was? And he said, no, it didn't. He went back and rewrote it. So you even don't just say, this is a great thank you letter. Way to go. You are the best and most kind person. She let him know that something wasn't there. She didn't judge him. She didn't say you're bad or ungrateful or call him something negative, but had a conversation with curiosity to get him to see, you know what? I think this is not quite where you wanted to be with this. And so he recognized that himself. So as a parent, you're supposed to see who your child is. And um, it, it's exciting. It's probably something you're going to be anxious about, but it's more of a surprise rather than something that you create. But a lot of times parents think, I'm going to turn my child into this. I'm going to make my child this way. And I know I can understand it. I even have friends who somebody's like, oh, my kid's going to be so this way, or my kid's going to do that. And, and I understand, and there's some good qualities I think we want to pass on to our kids. But we also want to make sure we give them space to be who they are. So your kids will have different temperaments, different personalities. And the analogy I like to use when it comes to this is um, when you're given a child, it's like you're given a seed. And when you have a seed, if you don't know, of course, in advance, now we buy seeds, we know what they are, but we don't know what this seed is supposed to come, what type of plant it's supposed to become. Uh, if it's a, f a flower, a fruit, a tree, we don't know. But all we do know is that we're supposed to help this tree meet its potential, meaning that we have to give it the right things, the context it needs, the environment it needs, the love it needs to grow into what it is supposed to become the best version of itself. So you plant the, the seed, you put it in good dirt that has good quality to help it grow. You water it, you make sure it has sun. And I know uh, my friend Vahid actually is very good at planting and growing um, different plants. So he, he could probably tell me that, of course, different uh, a different seed would need different things because different plants need different uh, things to grow. But nonetheless, we give that basic goodness that it needs and then we let it grow. And while your plant is growing, you don't say, well, let me stretch these leaves because that's what it's supposed to look like. Or no, no, it shouldn't be this way or it should be that way, which is what we do with our kids, right? We say, no, no, you shouldn't be this. You shouldn't like art or you shouldn't look like this or you should like this. 
and we don't let them become themselves because we think we know what a good person is supposed to be. What are good things? What are bad things? And we think we're supposed to, to fix them into making it them into what we think they're supposed to be. But actually our child is a plant that we don't know what it's supposed to become. But it's be- going to become the most beautiful it could become if we actually, more than anything, get out of its way. Give it love give it attention, give it support, care. So by out of its way doesn't mean we're not involved, but meaning that we don't try to make it become something. And I think this also goes back to a philosophy that is a big one in education as well as it is in parenting. We sometimes think, you know, kids are bad and we have to get the badness out of them. That's why you have to hit them or punish them or get mad at them because if not, they become bad. And students, no one wants to do their work, so you got to force them and punish them and get them afraid to, to do their work, which is not true. Now, this also probably comes back to how work was in general, or work has been in the last uh, while. I'm excited to read Capital and Ideology by Thomas uh, Piketty, because I'm sure he'll, he'll get into that, but how work has been to serve you know, most people work so that a few people can have benefits, that a few people get the riches from that. And so, of course, people didn't want to do the work when it wasn't for them. And so we've taken this, that work is not good. Working hard is not something people want. They won't want to um, actually do something more if they can do less. And of course, when it's uh, work that you don't like, that is boring, that is not interesting, and that serves someone else, it makes sense. You won't want to do it. But we know that when we do something we're passionate about, we want to do it. We don't want to stop. And so with our kids, the same thing. If we have the mindset, they're actually good and we don't have to try to get the bad out of them. We have to just cultivate the good and love them in a way that makes them feel good about who they are. We recognize that we don't have to make them into anything and we don't have to take bad parts out of them, but allow for them to continue growing. So going back to the question that started this this segment about how do we deal with kids with different temperaments, well, the easy answer is differently in that um, you love your kids for who they are and recognizing that because they are different, we have to treat them differently. I have to respond to this individual child. And so there isn't one magic way to parent all kids because each kid is different and each family is different and so many things are going to be different. And because of that, we have to be mindful and look at each child for who he or she is. And that's one of the most beautiful things we can do to anyone is to see them for who they are, whether it's an adult, but especially as a parent, to look at your child and say, I see you and I love you just as you are. You don't need to be something different. I don't want you to be something different. I want you to be you. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thank you to Amir in the studio as always. Again, the book of the week for this week is Capital and Ideology by Thomas Piketty. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalak. We have a wonderful night. 